It's been two years since Donald Trump won the presidency. As a Beyond the Bubble listener, you know that America and American politics are still adjusting to a leader the likes of which we've never seen before. Mr. President, that's enough. He says what he thinks. Are you concerned that you may have I'm not concerned about anything with you the may Russian investigation because it's a hoax. Are you, that's enough. Put down the mic. And he often does exactly what he said he would do, both of which have surprised people. The most important thing that a president of the United States does is appoint people like this appointment to the United States Supreme Court. And I got it done in the first 100 days. You think that's easy? Moderate Republicans are leaving. When we remain silent and fail to act because we might alienate the base. Or being kicked out in droves. We dishonor our principles and forsake our obligations. This White House has been in constant chaos thanks to shakeups, outbursts, and a lot of early morning tweets. Anita. I'm Anita Kumar. I've been covering the White House for McClatchy for six years now. Steve Bannon left in the summer. If the president says he lost his mind when he left, why did he continue to talk to him for so many months? Oh, look, the president... uh, You recently heard Alex Rorty on the future of the Democratic Party. Now, as the president is set to begin his third year in office, we'll look at where the Republican Party goes from here. When you put all the pieces together over the last year and a half, do you believe the president has obstructed justice? Let's say that there's a lot of evidence to that effect. What will this administration and its allies face now that Democrats control the House? We will provide a check and balance. We will hold the president accountable. He will learn that he is accountable, that he's not above the law. How can the Trump White House govern when it appears to careen from one internal crisis to the next? Good evening, I'm Jeff Glor. We are going to begin here tonight with the afternoon dismissal of the Attorney General Jeff Sessions. But first, today we sit down with Matt Schlapp, chairman of the American Conservative Union, the nation's oldest and largest conservative grassroots organization. Actually, Donald Trump has proven to be durably correct that our immigration system is completely broken. If you come to the border today with a child, it doesn't even have to be your own child. Uh-huh. You will jump the line. For- we'll talk about what Trump's 2020 re-election campaign means for his fellow Republicans over the next two years and for the Democrats likely to run against him. We'll look at why Trump filed for re-election on his very first day in office, earlier than any incumbent presidential candidate in decades. How many stories did we all have to read about? He hates this job. He's miserable. My guess is they wanted to make it very clear that he's making an eight-year commitment if the people will have him. We'll ask Matt what he tells Republicans who still don't like Donald Trump and which Democrats he thinks will be the toughest for Trump to compete against. Joe Biden 10 years ago. Well, How about Joe Biden now? This is the problem for them is that I can't find anyone amongst them who appeals to Pittsburgh. You've heard how Democrats are fighting their way back after losses in 2016. This time we'll go deep inside what might be the biggest political story of our lifetime for a look at the other side of the aisle. Here's the Republicans' way forward, according to the leader of an influential conservative group. A committed fiscal conservative and a proud American, and he is someone who is thinking about tossing his hat in the ring for the 2012 Republican presidential nomination. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Donald J. Trump. I've had a lot of great victories, and I may be willing to put that to work. I mean, I wish that, frankly, I wish there was a candidate that I saw that would be fantastic, because I love what I'm doing. In fact, I have a great club that's 15 minutes away. By the way, Ron Paul cannot get elected, I'm sorry to tell you. So I was elected chairman 
of the American Conservative Union about five years ago or so. So previous to the 2016 cycle, okay. both my wife and I had worked for President George W. Bush 43. What we decided at ACU, because ACU was kind of like in sports, you say they were in a rebuilding time. We were rebuilding the prestige of the organization and of CPAC. And we felt like the best thing for the organization would be simply to give a platform to all of those folks who were running for the Republican nomination. And we did invite the Democrats too, but of course they didn't want to come, which I can't blame them. If I decide to run, I will not be raising taxes. We'll be taking in hundreds of billions of dollars from other countries that are screwing us. And we'll rebuild our country so that we can be proud. Our country will be great again. Thank you very much. It's an honor. But what's interesting is Donald Trump had reached out to us years before this uh, to talk. I had met with him several times in his office up in New York City, and uh, and those were wildly entertaining and very lengthy meetings, bull sessions on politics. We talked about almost every issue under the sun. Did he mention he might run? Yeah, it was always out there with him because mm-hmm. it had been out there yeah. throughout all of the Obama years that he might run. So I didn't know how serious he was taking that. Uh, the more I met with him, I guess the more I realized he actually was really looking at it. I'm surprised you spent time. I mean, was he even a Republican then? How, why did you spend the time with him? He has a lot of money. He's an important <laughs> guy. Yeah, he's a wealthy guy. He's an, uh, he's an important guy. And, you know, I grew my parents are New Yorkers. We eventually became Kansans, but my parents are New Yorkers. And uh, as a kid, I spent four years in New Jersey. And, you know, Donald Trump, I'm 50 years old. It was like he was in the newspaper all the time. So when someone like that uh, wants to give you some time, I was more than willing to sit down with him. And as I sat down with him, it was a very interesting process because the unique thing about Donald Trump is that he asked a million questions and listened to the answers. And most people running for president or even thinking about it, it's the exact opposite. They talk, 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 talk. They ask very few questions. They don't care what you think. During the campaign, then, once there were two people, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, you were an official or unofficial surrogate, right? You I don't a- know if I was ever official. Oh. I never got a title. I think it's hard to be the chairman of the ACU and an official title with Trump. But you were on TV quite a bit. A lot, yeah. Okay, and you still are. Yeah. He's a columnist for The Hill and the chairman of the American Conservative Union. I know you are all members. Please welcome Matt Schlapp. Matt! You're not blind to why a lot of people are freaking out about him, right? No. Great. I think what people who fear Donald Trump want to know is, you know, is he uh, full of a little bullshit sometimes and a little bit of hype? Or is there something else there you're worried about a little more? And I would say as a Trump supporter, it is part of someone who's not been involved in politics, who's come into the system, has had amazing success in a short period of time. No. Yes, he has. What success has he had? He became the president. Okay. He had political success. I've had, look, I've had some people say some nice things. It was this Bush... Trump bridge, which is Bush people, people who still admire President George W. Bush and his father, who could understand why Trump was appealing to grassroots supporters around the country and why we were comfortable with it as well. So it seemed like that was the number one role. I cannot tell you how many establishment Republicans told me later on, they said, I didn't know what to do. But when I saw you go on TV and say, take it easy. It's going to be okay, <laughs> Republicans, that they said I ended up voting for him because I figured you're not going to lie to me or spend me. So. Wow, that's some influence you have there. Well, I don't know. I don't know how. I didn't say it was millions of people, but I did okay. say it was several people. So what is your message to Republicans who don't like Donald Trump? This, should, this is America. 
Good for you. But you want them to vote for Donald Trump. Uh, yeah, I want, I want everyone to vote for Donald Trump. Um, but, you know, there's no gun to your head. This is a big, beautiful, wonderful country where we have the First Amendment. And everyone ought to have all the political thoughts and the political speech that they have the energy to spend. What I don't like is the hypocrisy of conservatives who say they won't vote for Donald Trump when you look at what he's done. Because there's no liberal I talk to that doesn't look at the Trump agenda and say, oh, my God, this is terribly conservative stuff. So when you have conservatives criticizing him, they're full of BS, especially after these two picks to the Supreme Court. There's no territory for them left to stand on to say that Trump is somehow a charlatan. For mainstream establishment Republicans who don't like his tone, don't like Twitter, think he can be mean, you know, my guess is they're going to watch him the whole two years and then they're going to have a choice. Do they vote for Donald Trump? And the policies of lower taxes, lower regulation, you know, uh, stand up against a nuclearized Iran, you know, push back on China, stand up for Israel and look at the judges that he's picked. And uh, and they're going to look at a very left wing Democrat and they're going to make a choice. So maybe some of them won't vote. Maybe a lot of them will vote for Donald Trump and not tell anyone. By the way, it's a secret ballot. The day President Trump took the oath of office, he did something no chief executive before him had ever done on Inauguration Day, filed the paperwork to be an official candidate for re-election. So President Trump filed for re-election January 20th, 2017. It was earlier than any incumbent president in modern history. Mm -hmm. So just by comparison, your former boss, President Bush, he was sworn in in January 2001. He announced his re-election bid on May 15th, 2003. So yep. two years, more yeah, than through two years. the midterm, the right. thinking was, don't have a lonely victory. Go out there and fight for all these congressional and Senate Republicans. As you know, we end up flipping the Senate back to Republican hands. So which why is a pretty didn't big Donald deal. Trump do that? The difference is, is that everyone knew George W. Bush was going to run for re-election. George W. Bush comes from a family with deep Republican roots. There's a lot of people who thought, you know, Donald Trump's going to get in there and mix it up for a couple of years. He's going to turn it over to Mike Pence. Oh, interesting. I actually had not thought that. I well, just Think about it. A lot of people say, well, you even said in this interview, hey, he wasn't even really a Republican. I mean, that's yeah. a fair comment. The fact that he got the nomination shocked most people. The fact that he won even shocked even more people. The fact that he's actually doing the job as president is shocking even more people. And the fact that this could go on for eight years for his opponents is alarming, right? Like he might really be committed to being there uh, if he were to get reelected. So I think the reason to file that paperwork and to hire Brad Pascrell over at the campaign and such is to make it very clear that he's intends to run. Now, you know, he could always decide not to, I suppose. Do you but think I see, he won't run? I see no indication that it's nothing but full steam ahead. So filing the paperwork does one other thing, which is it allows him or his campaign to raise money. Mm -hmm. So presidents George W. Bush and Obama didn't fundraise for two years, right? Until after they filed their paperwork. They fundraised a ton. They just didn't fundraise for, for the reelection. For themselves, for their reelection. Right. So they put a bunch of money in the RNC. So President Trump started fundraising right away. I mean, yeah. he's had fundraisers for Republicans, but he's also had fundraisers for himself or but pieces. That doesn't benefit you that much because that limit is so small. He has so $100 million. He, eh. Look, George W. Bush raised $100 million in the 2000 primaries, and that sounded like a staggering amount of money. Look at the billions of dollars that were just spent in 2016. Look, I think they've done a great job. I'm not dismissing the number. It's a great number. Good for them for raising that number. But remember, they, the, the having the multiple years advantage doesn't allow you to write any bigger check, is my right. point. It's still going to be that $5,400 check or whatever that maximum individual check. 
check is. So the real key in all this is the outside money you raise. That's become the whole name of the game on the Democrat side. It's wherever Tom Steyer and Michael Bloomberg and these people end up and where they want to write their million-dollar checks. In, in Michael Bloomberg's case, it's much larger. Um, on our side, we have a bunch of donors. You know, The Cokes maybe get the most ink on the on checks they write. But what those people decide to do with those awesome amounts of money have the biggest impact. I actually thought that he filed the paperwork so he could start fundraising because he didn't have that two years ago. You might be right. Maybe you might be thinking, oh, develop I it. Yeah. But presidents, I'm just going to say this. Once you become the president, you're going to raise that money. And especially as has been reported that the president is more popular with his own party than any previous modern Republican president. So, He's going to be able to raise that money from the what we call the donor class. Yes, there'll be five or six people who are still have hard feelings over 2016 or never Trumpers or don't like him or whatever. But by and large, the 99%, he's going to be able to raise that money. I think it was more done, once again, to just make it abundantly clear that this wasn't some shock, lightning in a bottle, that he hates the job and that he's just going to shake it all up and leave, that he has an intent to stay. In 2016, everybody said on the Republican side, oh, we're up against the Clinton money machine. Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, yeah. uh, Hollywood, all the liberal yeah. activists you're talking about. We don't know who the nominee obviously will be for the Democrats. We have no idea. There's a million of them out there. But do you think that are Republicans going into it thinking, oh, they're going to have so much money on that side? Or do you go into it feeling a little bit better? He's the president. He's going to raise money. No, they're going to have a lot more money. What I noticed, the number one characteristic of our Republican slash conservative slash Trump donors is that they get excited late in the process. They don't necessarily believe that politics is an every minute of the day uh, avocation, that it's every day of the calendar year. Whereas I think liberals really get that, which if you're going to transform a country, it's not about the 30 days before the election oh, day. So they have, a, they have an edge in that I way. I do. Yeah. I think they have an edge. I think they write institutional checks on a regular basis. basis. They believe in organizing on the ground. They believe in infrastructure. Too many of our guys believe that you can come in at the end with slick marketing and good commercials and just kind of buy it at the end. It worked for Donald Trump, right? Kind of, except Trump did the opposite. Really, in the end, it wasn't that much campaign spending that made the difference. But he communicated on a regular basis to wide swaths of the population who really kind of are disdainful of politics. And he broke through that in a way that, our, that a candidate hasn't really done for a long time. I will never, ever put the special interests before the national interests. I will never put a donor before a voter or a lobbyist before a citizen. We hear the message at the campaign rallies. Everybody knows what a Trump rally is like. You can see them on TV or go to them. Is that going to be the same message? So now it's not make yeah. America. It's what does he say? Keep America great again? Or yeah, he has a slogan that's already been yeah. copied. Yeah. Is that the same message? What's the message? Do you think? Look, if you look at the midterms, let's just take that piece first. If you look at the Trump world of politics, the Senate majority is much more important. Why? Because that Kavanaugh confirmation really lit us up on our side. We saw it as an improper way to do the process. We saw it as unfair. And we also saw that when it comes to the idea of picking people that will that believe in the Constitution, that the liberals will maybe do almost anything to stop our folks, whereas we don't really tend to do that. I mean, can you think of the last person we knocked back 
for the Supreme Court. The closest would have been the judge who uh, Obama picked at the Merrick end. Merrick Garland. They yeah. just said that, you know, too close to the election, we're going to hold you back. Mm-hmm. Like almost everything, it splits the country. Do I like that concept of our country being split? No, I hate it. But there's a certain reality to the fact that we are red and blue. And as much as I have argued this all year when they say, yeah, but the country's 60% blue and 40% red, that is wrong. It's about 50-50. And if you look at the midterms, yes, we won the Senate seats in red states. And a lot of the reasons why we lost whatever the number comes out to be, 40 seats or whatever in the House, were Republicans who resigned because they thought politics under Trump was going to be a complete disaster. And it righted itself. It got much, much better. And by the end, you actually had more Republicans just stepping up and saying, look, I'm running with the president's agenda. The economy is strong. We're projecting strength overseas. So I, I, I do grade the president on the curve. I could probably find more ways to criticize him. But when I sit down and I watch a lot of television, I read a lot of articles. I'm on Twitter way too much, my wife tells me. They're, they're not cutting him any slack on anything. Oh, so this is interesting. He's getting ta- attacked enough. He's getting attacked so much, it's absolutely absurd. It's bad for the democracy, it's so much. I mean, we a lot of us attacked Obama very regularly. We disagreed with his politics. But you know what? He seemed like a decent guy. I knew people that went to school with him and said he was a decent guy. He seemed like a good father and a good husband. And so, like, you know, you don't want to make him into the Antichrist. It's like, look, you disagree with him on policies. It's making Trump supporters turn off all of that mainstream media. They're not watching it. I, I don't know. I, I have, you know, part of my job is to go with a president. Yeah. Not every day, sometimes. Um, and I have been to Trump rallies. And I will say I was shocked that I mostly appear on MSNBC, that pe- some people at Trump rallies recognize me from MSNBC. Okay, so maybe I'm too categorical. <laughs> I do think, look, I we were talking about this earlier. I do think there are conservatives, there are Republicans, and there are Trump supporters. Conservatives make a big mistake if they assume all these Trump supporters are conservatives. And Republicans make a big, 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 the party makes a huge mistake if they think they've got all these conservatives and all these Trump supporters. It is a coalitional thing. And I will agree with you that there's some ideological or philosophical diversity, not huge diversity, but there's some diversity in there. A man who has presided over record jobs, record unemployment, the president of the United States, President Donald J. Trump. I'm not overconfident about his chances of winning, but I can definitely once again see the lane where 50% of this country are pleased with what he's doing. Hello, Houston. I'm thrilled to be back where you treated me very well during a certain election two years ago. Tell me what the next two years looks like. President Trump seems to love campaigning. Am I am I right? He he seems to so. love these campaign. His rallies. version of campaigning is getting out there like TR and you know giving the humdinger from the yeah. back of the train. He loves to do it in the arena. At stake in this election is whether we continue the extraordinary prosperity that we've all achieved, or whether we let the radical Democrat mob take a giant wrecking ball and destroy our country and our economy. So he's going to hit the road for campaign rallies. Yep. He's never stopped. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, they're for candidates, but they're also for himself. Republicans passed the biggest tax cut and reform in history with massive tax cuts for the middle class. And now we're adding 10 percent to those numbers. How do you govern and, and do that at the same time? Do no you, problem at all. Does it's, one get left behind? No, not at all. How's that? 
you know, if done correctly, it's very interwoven. I mean, you've got to follow the laws, obviously, but it's a, you know, your political rhetoric is very close to the agenda that you're pushing, which is very close to the policies that you're advocating. So he emboldens himself as the head of our government when he is also campaigning in a consistent manner. It doesn't detract from it at all. Now, what can happen to a president is they can get fatigued. And I remember Andy Card talking about this. You know, you, we have to be careful because he's a man, right? He's a person. And the Hillary Clinton people talked about this. The thing that's wild about Trump is nobody says that who works with him. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many hours he sleeps. It's not that much. Not much. He reads Judges, everything. Judging from the tweets, it's not that much. You know, he's he he is very energetic. And I asked one of his top staffers, I won't say who this person is. He's in his 70s. Like, he seems to have boundless energy. Anytime I'm around him, he's he gets up like a young man. Like, you know, I kind of sometimes I'm creaky. I get Get up and my ankle hurts. He never has that. He's just up, bounding, get, get moving fast. He, like at CPAC, they never say, oh, you know, you got to make sure this is very close because that's a long walk. Like, he doesn't care. Walks all around. So my point is, is this. I said, what, why does he have so much energy? He goes, I don't know whether it's the never having touched a drink thing. I don't know what it is, but he does have boundless amounts of energy. So maybe he won't get fatigued. But usually that is the piece that can stress out a president. You've got a lot of government meetings to go to. Then you're adding all this campaign stuff. Now you're adding all these fundraisers, and it can stretch today to a point where they, you know, they can make mistakes because they're tired. You've heard this before that people say President Trump loves campaigning, and it does appear that he does. Do you think he likes campaigning more than governing? I think he likes being with people. So if that's what campaigning means, yes, he likes to be out there with people. He does not like to be cut off from folks. I think when I see him the most animated is when he's at a party, when he can talk to various folks. He loves working the phones and getting and talking to people. And so if that's campaigning, great. He's tried to make governing like that as much as he can because he likes to have those interactions. So if government is sitting around with the same people, the same four people, looking through policy papers, I think that's more boring for him. He is the governor of Ohio. John Kasich is over here. I could see a challenge in the Republican Party for 2020. Would you be up for that? Look, I'm going to finish my term in 18 months as governor of our state. And then I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep a voice. I'm rooting for him to do well, Bill. The same reason why I root for a pilot on my airplane to do well. Okay, he's the president. You probably heard Ohio Governor John Kasich said he may run against President Trump. What did you think when you heard that? I think it's great. You do? Yeah, I think John Kasich has kind of flipped back and forth ideologically a couple times in his career. So having been in this town long enough to now see he's back to the guy who's the Republican when Bill Clinton was elected and he wants to run as a moderate and he's now for Obamacare and he's for gun control. Like... You know, pick a lane. He's going to get positively slaughtered in the Republican Party. Maybe he's thinking of running as a Democrat or an independent. I don't know. We don't elect independents. Maybe he feels like he could be a spoiler and help the Democrat, which seems insane if he's really a Republican. You know, in the old days, there would have been all this pressure to keep Republicans out of the primary. My point of view is, you know what, run, run. The president's reelection campaign will waste time and money and effort. I I don't think so. No? Look, he didn't spend that much money to win the whole thing last time. What do you spend money on in a campaign? People in media, by and large, and it's not going to take either to beat John Kasich or Jeff Flake in a primary. He's going to go out and tweet, and he's going to go do rallies, and he's going to beat the snot out of them. And would, I, would it be better if they didn't run? I don't know, because I think Trump needs a foil. I worry that like when we get to that first big debate against the Democrat, it's going to be a big moment. And I think if he's had that whole primary season to 
scrape it out with someone. I think he actually might be tougher. In the end, what's your guess? Will someone run against him in the yes. primary? Oh, you do yeah, think so? Yeah, that's my guess. I don't know if it'll be Kasich or Flake or Corker or Mitt Romney or... Nikki Haley. I don't know who, which one Nikki of these Nikki Haley. She said she won't, but I don't know if there'll be a draft. Nikki Haley. I don't know if it'll be Bill Crystal, yeah. but I think it'll be somebody. It might be more could than could be one. more than one, yeah. I just don't think it matters. Usually it matters. So the rule is in Republican presidential politics, if you have a primary, you're going to lose the general. I just think that's broken under Trump. I actually think a primary will help him in the general. Who would be the hardest, most difficult Democrat to run against if you're Donald Trump? Old Joe Biden. How about Joe Biden now? Is that bad overwork? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you know, I, this is the problem for them is that they're really left wing. This is not a left wing country. We didn't elect Barack Obama because he was left wing. He became left wing as a president. We elected Barack Obama because he said he was going to heal these wounds and find a third way. Well, he didn't do that. Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, the Barack Obama of 07, 08. These were not left wingers. These were careful, somewhat moderate Democrats. But this is hard left. Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Beto O'Rourke. This is single-payer health care. This is nationalized health care. Mm-hmm. Some of them not even supporting the state of Israel. I mean, this is going to be some radical stuff. For me, as a conservative, it looks like radical. For half of America, it might sound great. But for the other half, it's going to look very radical. And this country, no matter what we say, it is not a left-wing country. I think it is still a center-right country. question is, who captures that? So is Joe Biden the toughest opponent he might have? I think Joe Biden is the toughest. I just... You know, he is at a very senior age to run for president. So is President Trump. True. So Senator Harris of California, you mentioned her. A lot of buzz about her. Yeah, lots. And everyone tells me she's really smart. Do you think she'd be tough? Yeah. I think she's going to have trouble reaching out to Iowa. But I think she'd be tough. I just think she seems so mean. Look, Amy Klobuchar compared to Kamala Harris. I watched a lot of those hearings. Amy Klobuchar seemed thoughtful. She seemed at least trying to find a way to be have a modicum of decency in that horrible, disgusting process. Believe it or not, Trump appeals to a lot of people, even though half the country I know say, I just think he's terrible. But he, they see him as funny. When you go to these rallies, he's having a lot of fun with the crowd. People think he actually doesn't take himself too seriously. Like, you've got to have that part to you. OK, we're two years out. I'm not holding you to it. But if you had to guess, who would it be, the Democrat? Well, I'm going to be really cynical. Which is, I think, the way the Democratic Party is, is now you got to fulfill at least one or two diversity boxes. And I think they love the first. So I think Hispanic's a big deal. Is that better or work? But I think being the first woman president, being the first Hispanic president, I think those are big deals. That's a big deal to all of us, but especially with the way they pick their delegates. I think Kamala Harris has a really good chance with the fact that she's California, which is the big money state. She's a woman of color. She, by the way, seems very competent. Okay, so I... So my guess right now would be her. Interesting. Okay. So I recently moderated a panel of... How'd you do? They said I did well, but the Republicans and the Democrats went at it. So it was political consultants. Okay. It was really interesting. But I asked a question. Actually, a friend gave me the idea, and they couldn't answer it. So I'm going to ask you the same question. Uh-oh. Who is someone in the opposite party, that's what threw them all, that you think is impressive? Not that might run, but just like, who do you look at on the other side? There's got to be someone that you think is impressive. They right. could not answer. It's unfair, but I'm going to give you the same answer. I thought Amy Klobuchar did a good job. She was impressive. There's a lot of buzz around her. She Look, what I think she has going for her, but this probably doesn't work for Democrats, but for Republicans watching Democrats, it totally works. 
she seems smart and that she gave it some thought and that she did more than just like read the talking points. Mm -hmm. I think she has this gravitas to her. Maybe that's an old fashioned term. But uh, and I look, I think you're going to see in this new crop of House Democrats that were elected. We're all making fun of them now because we're scared and they make us nervous. My guess is there's going to be a few all stars in that. Cr- and the Democrats will pick somebody who's been a star for 15 minutes. They, they have no problem with that. So you, know, you could see someone pop up and really get notoriety and become a real leader in their party. Here's the fascinating thing about at least Republican presidents, but I think you can say it's about Obama too. When it got to the first debate in their reelect, they stunk. I actually think you're going to see with Donald Trump that in this first debate, he might do better. The really, the first outsider president since the very beginning of the country, he's learned a lot about what government can do, what it can't do. I think there's a higher percentage chance that when he rolls into this election, he's actually not rusty. He's been doing all these rallies. He's been out there. For the sake of our freedom, we are going to work. We are going to fight. And we are going to keep on winning. But the thing, the biggest characteristic about him is, is that he's the same guy. He is the same person. He acts the same. This hasn't changed him that much. He's, he is who he is. And together, we will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. And we will make America great again. Trump may be learning what the presidency is all about, but many Republicans believe the real test is coming over the next two years, now that Democrats in Congress have subpoena power. One of the scariest things some of these White House staffers are going to hear is when the White House counsel comes down the hallway and says, we don't represent you. We represent the office of the president. On part two of the Republicans' way forward, we'll look at what's next now that Democrats can force the administration to testify about everything from immigrant children being separated at the border to taxpayer money being spent at Trump resorts. If you're wrapped up in one of these investigations, it weighs on you. You're not going to be thinking as fully about your government job when you know tomorrow morning you got to go sit for some interview in some congressional committee. Thanks very much to Matt Schlapp for joining me here, and thanks to Davin Coburn for producing this special episode of Beyond the Bubble. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Anita Kumar, and you can reach me anytime at akumar at mcclatchydc.com. That's A-K-U-M-A-R at mcclatchydc.com. We'll be back tomorrow. 